The first reading this morning is from Luke 21, 1 to 4. It's on page 1056 in the Church Bibles, if you want to follow it there. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The second reading is Acts 4, 32 to 37, and that's on page 1096 in the Church Bibles. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. No, I don't need that. That's all. Right. Turn it off. Good morning, everyone. This morning, I'm going to focus on an aspect of our Christian lives which is crucial to the future mission and ministry of the church here at St. Matthew's. And it's particularly crucial right now at this time, which is why this this morning I'm going to unapologetically talk about money. But first I want to begin by saying a huge thank you to all of you from the bottom of my heart, to everybody who gives in so many ways to the mission and ministry of St. Matthew's, your time, your skills, your prayers, as well as your generous giving. Without that sacrificial generosity, none of us would be here this morning worshipping God together. Quite simply, the doors would be closed and St. Matthew's would be turned into another block of flats on the Southcote estate. So thank you so much for your generosity. If you're a visitor here this morning, I warmly welcome you, but please be clear, I'm not asking you for your money. (laughs) But you might well be interested in what I have to say. Many myths abound concerning money and the church, and I'm going to blow some of those wide open this morning. But first, let's pray. Lord, come by your Holy Spirit and speak to us this morning. I pray that no one would feel in any way pressured or manipulated or persuaded other than by the prompting of your Holy Spirit concerning giving money to the church. 
but give us open minds and hearts to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Eight years ago, just before Kirsty and I came to St. Matthew's with a group of friends from Greyfriars, St. Matthew's was a church with a core of about 30 faithful members who worked incredibly hard to keep the church going. But because most were retired and on pension and very few were still in paid employment, the real costs of running the church with a full-time vicar were not being met. And St. Matthew's was heavily subsidised by the other churches in the Reading area. But of course you can only do that for so long. Incidentally, at that time in 2011, over 60 Church of England churches each year were being closed in the country because they couldn't afford to be kept going. So when we came in June of 2011, almost eight years ago, although we were still given a subsidy, we were put on notice, if you like, of a recovery plan, which meant we would have to learn to pay our way within a few years. One of the great myths about the Church of England is that it's rich, that it's loaded with money, and somehow the cost of running churches is just met by this wealthy organisation or even by the government. That is a complete myth. All the costs of running the local church, paying the vicar, paying the staff, has to come from the local parish. There is no money from anywhere else. It's that simple. So... The way it works is this. I've got two simple graphs to show you to help see how it works. Firstly, the local church has to pay all its own costs of heating, lighting, maintenance, upkeep, insurance, photocopying, all those kinds of things, dozens of other things, simply to keep the doors open. And that's the blue area on the graph, which accounts for just over a third of our expenditure. On top of that, we have all the costs of our ministry staff, like Lynn, our children's worker, Chris, our youth pastor, Isabel, our administrator. They're all part-time employees who support all the ministries that the church does. That's the red area. And again, it accounts for just over a third of our expenditure. And finally, we have this thing called the parish share, which we pay to the Oxford Diocese. And that pays for the cost of having a full-time vicar, that's me, and the upkeep of the vicarage, and some other overheads. But essentially, the parish share is what gets you a full-time vicar and a roof over his head. Okay? Simple. By the way, there's one other myth that would be good to explode. I know that, quite understandably, some people have thought, hang on a minute, we've got two clergy people here at St. Matthew's, Pads and Kirsty. So perhaps we have to pay over the odds because we've got a pair of vicars. Well, let me put your mind at rest on that because you may be surprised to know that Kirsty is not paid any salary whatsoever. She gives virtually all of her time to the church and community, but we share just one vicar's salary. So in fact, it's two for the price of one. Good deal. Good deal. Back to the green area, though, the parish share, because that's what I want to focus on for a moment. What I need to show you now is how that has changed in recent years. Because the recovery plan, 
in order that we stand on our own two feet has meant that each year we're having to pay a very large increase in parish share until next year, 2020, when we will be finally paying our own way. This year, the sum is £40,000. Back in 2011, it was, I think, less than £15,000. But next year, it will be about £47,000, at which time it will level off. Because, um, and there might be some small inflationary increases, but we will be paying our way. But, and it's a big but, the result of these very large cost increases, especially in the last two years, means that in 2018 and 2019, we have been spending far more than our income. Which means that very soon, we will have used up any reserves we have. In short, we are rapidly running out of money. The effect of this, if we don't do anything about it, is that by the end of this year, we would have to have some very difficult conversations with our lovely staff team, because we wouldn't be able to afford to pay their salaries anymore. It's as simple and as serious as that. And if that happened, clearly our ministry and mission would suffer very badly, not to mention the personal cost to our lovely staff. So that's the challenge we face. The gap we have to fill is that we need to increase our monthly income by something like £2,500 in order to match our costs. So it's a big challenge. However, there's good news. (laughs) There's always good news in church. (laughs) I remember Bishop Stephen Cotterell always used to say that if you go to church and you don't hear good news, you should ask for your money back. But the good news is this, we might have a big challenge, but we have a much bigger God, and God owns all the money. And so I stand before you this morning, and I want to ask you to do one of two things. Firstly, if you have not yet started to give regularly to the mission and ministry of St. Matthew's, then please would you start, however small that starting point might be. Pray about it. Ask God what you should give. But please, if you haven't started to, please would you start giving regularly to the mission and ministry of St. Matthew's. And I'll say a bit more in a moment about how you can do that. Or, if you are already giving to St. Matthew's, please would you review your giving to see if there's any way that you could increase that a little bit to help us meet the challenge that we face. I'll tell you a story about my own somewhat hesitant journey to becoming a generous giver. 20 years ago, I came to faith in Jesus Christ, the most wonderful event in my life. For most of my adult life, I wasn't a Christian. I I hadn't believed in God, but 20 years ago, my faith came alive. And soon after that, I came to realize that part of being a follower of Jesus meant to commit to a local expression of church. And at that time, because I'd attended an Alpha course with Greyfriars Church in Reading, who most of you know, I started attending Greyfriars. And I loved being part of that church family. It was wonderful. And after a year or so, I started to start, I started to give some of my time to the church with various activities. And the one that I really got involved with was 
was the Alpha course and running Alpha groups on a Wednesday evening. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But after a while, it occurred to me that there seemed to be a bit of a mystery. You see, the church had quite a large professional staff team, way bigger than St. Matthew's. And that must have meant a very big salary bill. But there didn't appear to be any obvious channels of income that might meet that cost. And to be honest, I just let that mystery hang there for a while. But eventually I asked someone in the church and I said, well, where does all the money come from to pay for this big staff team? And the person smiled at me and said, well, it's pretty simple, really. We all just pay money regularly to the church, give a bit each month, and um, that's how we pay for the running of the church. And that piece of news dropped like a kind of bombshell onto the joy and excitement of my newfound faith. (laughs) Because I suddenly realised that I really should face up to the possibility of giving some of my money to the church community in order that it could carry out its mission and ministry effectively. And if I'm honest, I wasn't very happy about that thought. I was quite worried that if I were to give some of my money away, well, what would I have to give up myself? I was later to learn about a chap called Martin Luther, who was one of the great church reformers of the 16th century. And Martin Luther used to say that there are three stages of Christian conversion. He used to say there's conversion of the head, when we come to believe in God through Jesus Christ, and we believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Then there's conversion of the heart, when we come to know and love Jesus, and to love God, and to know his love poured into our hearts. And lastly, and it usually is last, there's conversion of the wallet. And that's when we actually put our money where our mouth is and give generously to support the mission of the church. And I realised much later that that summed me up exactly back then. I believed in God in my head, I loved Jesus in my heart, but I was extremely reluctant to go anywhere near my wallet. But then an interesting thing happened. Because as I read the New Testament... As I read the stories of Jesus, I began to notice something, that Jesus taught on the subject of money more than just about anything else except love. Why is that? Why did he do that? Well, I think it's because he knew our human condition, the fact that money often has a habit of getting a grip on our lives. And Jesus said there's a remedy for this. And he taught it in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's what you really care about. And he said, you can't love God and money. And so his remedy for this hold that money has on our lives is generous giving. In other words, if we start to give generously, money loses its grip on our lives. And we have a generous God who's given us all we have. Life, breath, family, friends, all the material things we possess. And as Christians, we're called to reflect the generosity of our generous God. And that's exactly what happened in the New Testament. 
The effect of the Holy Spirit on the early church was to release generosity in the hearts of the believers. In our reading from Acts this morning, we read that all the believers shared everything they had, verse 32, which is a wonderful picture. Some of them even sold houses or land and gave the money to the ministry of the word. Wow. So we have a generous God and our lives should reflect that generosity. But as I came to the realization that I needed to step up, reach for my wallet, as you say, and start contributing financially to the church, I then had another conundrum. How much should I give? How much did people give? Because it was obvious that the loose change in my pocket wasn't going to help much towards the costs of running the church. But how much should I give? Well, Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 6 that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. So that's the first principle. We're to give generously. And Jesus taught that our giving should be in proportion to our ability to give. Our gospel reading this morning was that wonderful story from the gospel of Mark when Jesus and his disciples are watching people put money into the temple treasury. They're just sitting there watching people to see what they give. And the rich people are putting in big bags of money and lots of gold and all the rest. But this widow comes along and she puts in two tiny copper coins. And Jesus says to his disciples that she has put in more than all those other people. That's amazing, isn't it? What did he mean by that? Well, what he meant was that she had put in everything that she possibly could, but those rich people who put in a lot more, they probably had a lot more money anyway, and more besides. And so we're to give generously, but we're to give in proportion to our means. If we have a lot, then we can give a lot. If we have a little, we can give a little of what we have. But what we don't do is to give nothing. So that's the second thing. We give in proportion to our ability to give. Thirdly, the Bible tells us that we're to give cheerfully. God doesn't want a reluctant giver, we're told. And one of the things that I discovered many, those many years ago, and believe me, I was not joyful at first about the idea of giving, but one of the things I discovered was that we also have to give in faith. That if we do give away some of our money, that God will make sure we still have all we need. And that's a step of faith. When I was first thinking about this, back in probably about 2002, I had to make a decision whether to come out of business, because I'd been in in business all my life, where I was earning a good salary, and start training for the ministry. And I knew that would mean a massive cut in our income. It would mean selling the family house downsizing because we couldn't afford the mortgage. It would mean giving up a whole number of other things that we'd taken for granted. And you know, I wasn't really bothered about any of that. But the one thing I was really bothered about was that we used to travel regularly to South Africa because it was like our second home. It's always been. Kirsty and I got engaged there. We lived there for three years. Our first uh, child, Tristan, was born there. Of course, you know that our daughter lives there now. And uh, And I was really sad when I thought about the fact that we probably wouldn't be able to afford to travel to South Africa anymore if I took the step of faith and came out of business and started training. But an extraordinary thing happened. After taking that step of faith, in the first three years of starting to train for the ministry, 
by extraordinary coincidences, which I now see as God's incidences, God's hand on it, we were twice gifted two return tickets to Johannesburg. And so we got out to South Africa, even though we had very little money. And it just felt like God was saying, you see, if you trust me with your money, I can still give you the good things that your heart really desires. And we just felt incredibly blessed by that. That's the kind of spiritual law at work, that God loves generosity and he loves to bless our faith with his generosity. But it takes a step of faith. So, back to the question, how much was I to give? Well, when I looked for an answer in the Bible, I saw that in the Old Testament there was a kind of rule of thumb, and that was that God's people were expected to give around 10% of their income or their produce to God's ministry. And many people today still use that as a guideline or at least a target to aim at. But in the New Testament, it wasn't like that at all. In our reading this morning, Louisa told us they shared all they had. So some of them gave away much more than that. And some of them who were very poor clearly couldn't give anything like that. But they shared what they had. And so it's really important to understand that it's about giving according to our means. But within that, giving generously, just as Jesus said the woman with the two copper coins had given all she could. And I really believe... Do you know, I really believe that the Lord is going to move our hearts to meet this challenge. I cannot believe that all he's done through the mission and ministry of St. Matthew's over these last eight years, and for that matter, all he's done over the last 50 years, reaching a new generation of children with the good news of Jesus Christ, teaching hundreds of children every year through RE Inspired, bringing the good news of Jesus to to hundreds of children at our holiday clubs, helping those in our local community to find love, support and faith through Time for You, bringing teenagers to baptism through the youth work and discipling new Christians to become leaders and teachers and so many other things that have gone on. I simply don't believe that's going to come to an end. I believe God's heart for this church and this community is not just to continue but to grow the ministry. And so I want to just finish by explaining how we can each play a part in helping us to meet this challenge that I've described. Firstly, again, if you haven't yet started to give regularly to St. Matthew's, please would you consider starting to do that now. And in a moment I'll say just a word or two about the new parish giving scheme that we're starting up. There are some papers on, there are some um, packs on the chairs there. Even a small amount each month would help toward the challenge we've got. And secondly, as I said before, if you're already regularly giving to St. Matthew's, thank you for your generosity and your faith. One thing can I ask you to consider though, is would you consider moving from the method that you currently use to pay, whether that's standing order or something else, and going on to the parish share scheme. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, the new parish giving, scheme, sorry, parish giving scheme is really helpful for the church and for you. It's a scheme of giving via direct debit instead of standing order, which may seem a bit of a technical detail, but it has two great advantages. First of all, all of the gift aid is handled automatically by the Church of England parish giving team. So the administrative work no longer falls 
with the church. We still get your whole payment plus your gift aid, but we don't have to do any of the work for that to claim it, and that's really good. Secondly, you can change your amount you're giving at any time by a simple phone call to the parish giving scheme, or you can tick a box to say you're happy for an annual inflationary increase to be added to it, although you will always get a communication telling you a month in advance that the increase is coming so you can opt out of it if you don't want to. And of course, if your circumstances change at any time, you can always stop it or change it at any time. Many of us on the PCC have already made this switch to the parish giving scheme, including Kirsty and I, because we didn't want to ask you to do something which we hadn't done ourselves. And I can tell you, it's absolutely dead simple. In those packs on the chairs, there's a form. You just fill out the left-hand side uh, of that form. It took me about five minutes to fill it out, stuck it in the post, and, and it was done. And once, the, once it was set up, I just cancelled my existing standing order, and it was all up and running. And the other thing is, if you're already regularly giving, is to reconsider if prayerfully reconsider whether or not you could increase your giving a little bit to help us to meet that challenge. Finally, as you know, um, we don't pass a collection plate uh, around in the service here at St. Matthew's. And we decided that some years ago because being situated in an area where there are many people who don't have much money at all, we didn't want their first experience of church to be being asked for money when they came into, into the church and joined a service. Having said that, some visitors do like to make donations, and we want to make it as easy as possible for them to do that. These days, many people don't carry cash, so we've acquired a new fancy card reader, which is going to be sitting over there on that table in future, after the service. Um, and um, it's... Um, it's very, very simple. You can go up to it. The screen sort of has various amounts. You could tap £10 and then wave your card in front of it and the, and the, the gift is made. Um, that's modern technology for you. But um, that will be available after, service, after the services in the future. But that's more for one-off donations um, and visitors rather than regular monthly giving. But it all comes back. It all comes back to a step of faith. And what I've found over the last 20 years or so is that faith is like a muscle. When you exercise it, when you take a step of faith and you find that God is there for you, your faith grows. But if you don't use it, your faith tends to kind of shrink. And there's a wonderful challenge that God gives us at the end of the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, And I'm going to conclude with it. Paraphrasing it slightly, it goes like this. God says, test me on this. Give generously and see if I will not open the trapdoors of heaven and pour out my blessings on you. That's his challenge to us. And the question is, will we trust him enough to step up to this challenge? Amen.